Nurse.com is proud to be a sponsor of the Ask Nurse Alice podcast. As the premier destination for nursing knowledge and resources, Nurse.com supports your passion for healthcare with an unrivaled collection of tools, articles, and courses tailored for the nursing community. Get your daily dose of things you need to know for your nursing journey. Discover the world of nursing like never before with Nurse.com. Empower your practice, advance your career, and enrich your knowledge. Nurse.com. It's your nurse life all in one place. You're listening to Ask Nurse Alice, presented by Nurse.org, where Alice Benjamin combines no-nonsense advice with thought-provoking interviews. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Ask Nurse Alice podcast, the show where we talk about anything and everything nursing and healthcare related. I'm your host, Alice Benjamin, clinical nurse specialist, family nurse practitioner, and chief nursing officer at Nurse.org. And today's topic is one that is definitely going to be timely considering everything that's happening in the world around us today. But before we get there, what else is timely? Graduation. That's right. With graduation season already in motion, now is the time to plan for the next steps in your career, which is why I recommend checking out the nurse residency program with HCA Healthcare. HCA Healthcare's year-long nurse residency program is tailored to support newly graduated nurses and ease that first-year anxiety. Plus, HCA Healthcare gives you the opportunity to advance your career in one of the largest healthcare systems in the country. So don't wait. Students who are preparing to graduate and recent grads are eligible to apply to the nurse residency program at HCA Healthcare. Learn more today at careers.hcahealthcare.com residency. Again, that's careers.hcahealthcare.com residency. HCA Healthcare is an equal opportunity employer. So congrats to all of the new graduates and soon-to-be graduates who are going to be entering the nursing profession. We need you. We definitely, definitely need you. And as someone who's been in this nursing game for quite a bit, I feel that it's only right that, you know, we prepare you for some of the things you didn't learn in nursing school and talk about some of those things, which is why I'm so glad you joined the podcast. Even if you're not a nurse, perhaps you're a doctor paramedic, EMT, respiratory therapist, or some other allied healthcare professional, welcome. We embrace you as well as listeners. And I'm pretty sure you'll find something still very helpful to you as well, because collectively, we are healthcare professionals and we are responsible for providing safe, quality care to people in our communities, which kind of leads me to the topic that we're going to talk about today, because although some may argue and say that they don't have a direct hand in this, I'm going to say that loosely and indirectly we do as healthcare professionals, and that's on the topic of public safety, especially as it relates to gun violence. There's been a lot of stuff in the news lately. It seemed, and I hate to say this, almost seems like daily somewhere in the United States, there's some type of gun violence that's making news from Uvalde school to the supermarket shooting to people being shot at a church here in California. And most recently, the topic that I'm going to talk about is one of the most recent acts of gun violence is one that happened at a healthcare facility. It happened in Tulsa, Oklahoma, just this past Wednesday on June 1st, there was a mass shooting at a medical building and the shooter, which his name is Michael Luis, he was a 
patient of uh, a Dr. Preston Phillips. Uh, and what happened is Michael had some form of back surgery done on May 19th and was discharged from the hospital May 24th. Shortly thereafter was following up with his provider for pain management because he wasn't having adequate control. And it says that he left several messages and then went to go see his provider, still wasn't getting adequate pain control and later came back to the office after purchasing an assault rifle as well as a semi-automatic handgun, came back and shot his physician, Dr. Preston Phillips, as well as Dr. Stephanie Eusen, who happened to be there. She's a sports medicine doctor, as well as Amanda Glenn, who was an employee, and William Love, who was a patient at that office. And it's very tragic. But my gosh, who's safe these days? They're shooting at kids' schools, in churches, in grocery stores, at healthcare facilities. This is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. And it really makes me feel unsafe just as a citizen. Like, Gun violence is very much a major issue, very, very much a major issue. And let me just also share this personal note so you guys know this about me. Um, my father, who was a retired service member, you know, 23 years in the United States Navy, actually worked a second career after he retired from North Carolina, very pleasant man, was a victim of a hate crime in which he was shot eight times. Fortunately, my dad survived that, but definitely had injuries, but was shot because of the color of his skin. The person who shot him was racist. And many of the acts of violence that we've been seeing, not all of them, but many of them have also been race related, whether it is the population that was targeted or, and, and, you know, there's cases of this. There are cases of this where gunmen have gone to black churches to shoot, white gunmen have gone to black churches to shoot people. Like, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and run down a list of every single event, but what we do know is that gun violence is an issue. Race has also been a common theme in many of these cases, um, which is something that we have to address because, you know, that in and itself is an issue. But overall, we just need people to be safe. We need people to be safe. I mean, why is it so easy for people to get these assault rifles, which, by the way, are very high-powered weapons that shoot very rapidly. They are meant for destruction. Why do people have those? I mean, I'm not a hunter. I'm not someone who chooses to have a gun, not someone who's ever touched a gun. I don't desire to. But even still, why are automatic rifles being sold at gun shops to people, especially it's so easy. It's so easy to buy. I don't know what each state's process is for credentialing and clearing someone for these things, but obviously it's not enough. It's not enough. And I know some people argue, well, I have a right to have a gun. I have a right to carry. And, you know, I can understand that. However, and then they'll say also guns don't kill people. People kill people. Yes, but it's the people who have the guns that kill people. And we just need to do a better job at this. Now, do I think that there's one answer to this problem? Absolutely not. I think it's multifaceted. I think there are several layers to this. And I'm going to talk about several of the players that come into this when it comes to hopefully getting to a solution. Because one of them, which I will say right off the bat, I believe is gun control. We need better gun control laws here in the United States. And I don't know why this is a problem that just happens in the United States. Two, we need legislation to help protect people, especially healthcare workers, from violence. Let me qualify this because everyone deserves protection, but I want to talk about 
violence in the healthcare workplace, because obviously I'm a healthcare worker and I wanted to address this because I don't know if people are fully aware of this, but violence against U.S. healthcare workers have been on the rise over the past decade. According to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics data, the incidence of violence related healthcare worker injuries has increased by at least 67%. It went from 6.4 per 10,000 full-time workers in 2011 to 10.7 per 10,000 in 2018. And this doesn't even include any stats that involve the pandemic, which by the way, we know that violence was increased during the pandemic because it was such a high stakes. People were scared, nervous, worried, unhappy, sick, and we as healthcare providers were often the messengers to messages that people often didn't want to hear. We didn't have enough PPE. We didn't have treatments or ventilators or enough of them, at least, to take care of people, the volume of people we wanted to, and then the way that we wanted to. And people did not like that. So, you know, they took it out on us. So, yes, there was violence in the workplace. And listen, violence in the workplace was happening before the pandemic. It got worse during the pandemic. Although anyone in healthcare can be a victim of violence. We didn't know that also that nurses and aides who are in most direct contact with patients are at higher risk. They are because they're around patients more often. And I'll say this, as someone who works in the ER and the ICU, I've seen it all the time. Everything from verbal abuse to someone's throwing their bedpan at me or a pitcher at me, or they're swinging at me with their cane, or they've swung upon, you know, tried to swing on me, those type of things. I mean, Those are some of the minimal things, but there are cases where people have brought weapons, knives, guns to healthcare facilities and violence is never, never the answer. It's not guys. It's really not. And we have to help people through this process. And I think part of the way we're going to do that is to help dissect what happened here. Now, obviously hindsight's always 2020. We are unable to talk to the patient or the victims to know exactly what happened, but we can try our best to put pieces together and try to come up with a plan, a solution or interventions to hopefully prevent this from happening elsewhere. Or if we find ourselves in a similar situation, identify how we can best protect everyone involved. So I already mentioned to you that, you know, violence is such a very significant thing uh, in healthcare. I mentioned we need better gun control laws in the United States, legislation, to protect healthcare workers from gun violence. I mean, even the American Hospital Association urged the DOJ, the Department of Justice, to protect healthcare workers from workplace violence in a letter that they submitted just, you know, earlier this year to trying to protect us. That's something, I mean, we definitely need legislation to help enact behaviors to protect us, but also mental health services. Now, I'll, I'll let me just go ahead and put this out there because, and this is not a political podcast, guys, but I'm just going to address what's been said. So they'll say, some people say, oh, we need gun control violence. And some, the other party will say, oh, no, we just need better mental health services. Well, I think we need both. And, but to speak on mental health services, I think it's important for people to understand that physical and emotional pain often go hand in hand. Chronic pain can trigger anxiety, depression, and other mental health issues. And it also increases the risk for substance abuse and suicide. So treating the mental health of someone can sometimes also lead to pain relief. So In this particular situation that we're talking about, the shooting at this uh, clinic, the patient was in a lot of pain. I don't know how much pain he was in or how long he had been in the pain, especially since the surgery. I don't know if he had any underlying mental health issues, what else was going on with the individual. But 
physical pain and mental pain go hand in hand. And so if you're going to treat one, you also got to treat the other, which I also think is important. And let me say this, as someone who has had significant back pain in the past before I was actually in a car accident and I was a spinal cord injury. So I I definitely had a lot of pain. It was more neuropathic pain, which by the way, opioids are not helpful at managing. It just masks um, some of the pain and knocks me out, but never really got to the underlying root of the pain. That was more like the gabapentin and the Lyrica kind of stuff. But anyways, we have to do better with mental health, making sure that anyone who has pain has the opportunity to have some type of counseling or mental health services to help with some of that as well, because our coping mechanisms are critical with how we manage and also interpret our pain. And if there's some underlying mental health issues, that can actually exacerbate some of our pain. Um, But to get to the pain management issues, I'll go there now. We also need to make sure that we have an adequate pain management plan in place. And first, let's make sure that we've had a realistic conversation with patients about pain control, because very seldom can we completely remove all of the pain unless we've like snowed them on medications, which is not really what we should be doing because we have to have some quality of life there. Someone has to be awake and alert enough to participate while managing their pain. So we need to have a realistic conversation about how much of their pain we can control all of the different modalities that come into play when it comes to managing their pain control. So it's not just, oh, let me give you this Norco or this Percocet, but let's try other regimens. So let's try the neuropathic pain management. Like let's try the gabapentin. Let's also try perhaps maybe a TENS unit, electrical stimulation. Let's try therapy or counseling. Let's try imagery. Let's try repositioning. Let's try meditation, like all of those things. Like we need to really, it needs to be a whole regimen and a whole plan. Okay. And let's also bring in the pain specialists. Okay. Let's do that. Cause I think it's so important. And I really dislike it when people complain of pain and their issues or their plans go ignored, or at least they perceive it as ignored because for some healthcare professionals are like, oh, they're in pain, but they're not dying. So that health professional feels like they have time and will delay getting the individual treatment or addressing their pain. And that's not the answer because we see how it worked out for these these folks here. And believe me, I am not condoning any of this, but I have to say that likely some of what brought this gunman to this very desperate point was feeling like his back was up against the wall, being in an excruciating pain, not feeling like there was an alternative, not having a listening ear to turn to, Um, And as healthcare professionals, although we are there to help treat someone like their specific issue, and I don't care what specialty you work in, but mental health is 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 an issue that overlays all specialties. That is something that we should be assessing in all of the specialties in which we work. So it's really unfortunate that what appears to be a lack of communication that led to someone's desperation, inability to cope with pain poor decision-making and resulted into coupled with bad gun laws that allowed him to access an assault rifle and, you know, this massive shooting at this facility. This is not how it's supposed to be guys, not at all. And if I may say, although we will never get a chance to talk to the gunman or the victims to know exactly what happened, all we can do at this point now is to speculate what happened, what potentially happened. And we have to be honest. We have to be so honest with ourselves, so honest with ourselves. So 
for some of you who might who maybe thought for a moment like oh she's on the side of the gunman she's empathizing that he was in pain and he got desperate and that's why he did what he did i'm not saying it was right i'm saying that someone who is in a very desperate situation who doesn't feel that they have options and there are no alternatives would rather be out of their misery because they're in so much pain they might become desperate to shoot themselves and shoot someone else along with it who they someone who they feel might be responsible and in this case the patient, Michael Lewis, felt like the surgeon was responsible for his pain. And let's talk about these. You know, we don't know his exact diagnosis. Did he have spinal stenosis, herniated disc? You know, we don't know. However, what we do know is that, you know, back surgery is not always a winning situation. It doesn't always guarantee that your pain is going to be alleviated. In some cases, it can actually make it worse. And so is that why the patient felt the surgeon was responsible? I don't know. Was the patient mad that he felt like the doctor or the nurses weren't calling him back? I don't know. I don't know what the response was. I don't know if there was a prescription already waiting for him at the pharmacy and he didn't know and he didn't pick it up or he wasn't using his medication properly or if there was something in the plan that wasn't being adhered to that contributed to his pain. Like, I don't know. And, you know, neither do you, but we can only speculate. And I think that we should speculate to think of every possible random scenario that could have happened. That way we can play all of these situations and scenarios out to try to come up with solutions as to why this could have happened and how to more so prevent this from happening to someone else. We got to prevent this from happening to someone else. And if you find yourself in this situation, how do you protect yourself? Like those are all of the things that we need to kind of talk about. And I'm so sick about active gunman shooting drills having to be a part of annual trainings nowadays. Like kids should not be having to learn that in schools. We're adults. I don't want to have to learn that at work. Like I'm scared of guns. I legit am scared of guns. Okay. So to now have to like run through these drills because in just in case someone comes in with a gun shooting to have to try to protect myself, like that's a very reactionary intervention. I, I would rather Although I think it's important to still say we still got to do it. Let's look at interventions that are more proactive. And I think that's where the gun law control comes in. I think it's a very important part of this problem. I, again, I think this is a multifaceted issue that requires multiple interventions. But to get back to, you know, to us as healthcare professionals in the workplace, you know, what do you do if you find yourself in this situation? I mean, all you can do is try to protect yourselves, right? That seems very reactionary. So one of the scenarios that I was kind of teeing up earlier is, was the patient feeling ignored, dismissed? His symptoms weren't being managed. I think that also plays a very important role in this. As health professionals, it's very important that we listen to our patients. We have to be so attentive and listen to our patients. I think when we listen to our patients, we can identify or better identify who might be someone who has mental health issues, who might be on the verge of a breakdown, and also what are signs or characteristics that put someone at risk for having a breakdown. And as the research and the science will show that that chronic pain can trigger anxiety, depression, and other mental health issues. And if this patient was calling all the time, we all know, you know, we've all had that patient where they've like always on their call light, always. And some of you like, this patient again, bothering me. Listen, that might be the patient you really want to be attentive to because for one, they're probably in a lot of pain. It's all about what the patient feels. We've all learned that pain is a fifth vital sign. So don't dismiss anyone's pain. That's for one. You got to listen to people. You got to listen to them. Let them speak out 
about what their pain is, what they're going through. And you have to acknowledge it, guys. You have to acknowledge it. You have to listen to them and acknowledge what they're going through. I mean, I've said to patients like Mr. Jones, I'm so sorry. You are in so much pain. If I could, I wish there was something that I could do immediately that would take all this pain away. I don't have anything that I can give you that can take away all of the pain. Right now, these are the things that I have. These are the options, right? And you lay out what options you have. However, let me talk to the prescriber or the provider and see what else we can do for you. But in the meantime, can we try this? I'm going to turn off your lights. I'm going to decrease stimuli. Let's reposition you. Can I play some music for you? What helps to relax you? Like if you try all of these things, at least the individual knows that you are trying within your means with what you have to help manage their pain. And, you know, I think that goes a long way. Now, is that always going to protect you from a patient who's having a crisis and comes in with a gun? No, I can't promise you that. No one should be a victim of gun violence. No one should. No one should be a victim of any type of violence. But right now we're, we are looking and analyzing what happened in this Tulsa, Oklahoma medical center that resulted in five people dead. Uh, the five, including the gunman, as well as four innocent people. One of the things that, because this has happened, obviously it's setting off the alarms everywhere, which it should. It should, just like all of the recent shootings should have set off the alarms. And I think it's caused police to be on more high alert, to intervene earlier, those type of things, which are things that we need. But what do you need to feel safe at work? Like, do you think that we're going to start having metal detectors at hospitals? Because I can tell you some hospitals already have those. Some already have metal detectors that you walk in through, that you got to open your bag or your purse. They got to go through these things and certain items get checked out the door. There's a hospital here in Los Angeles. Knives, lighters, anything sharp. Security's taking that from you when you come into the facility. You cannot come in with that. Is that what needs to happen? Do we have more security at hospitals? And are these armed security? Like, are they carrying guns? And just side note, I also want to speak on security because I know someone's going to say this. We also need to make sure that our security officers are able to secure. And I say that to say, you really have to clarify what the role is of the security officer. I was at one facility and there was a potential intruder that was on campus and we were calling for security to help us, help us. And the security said, I'm here to observe and to watch and hopefully deter them, but I'm not here to intervene because she was not the police and she was not going to engage with the intruder at all. She was there meant to observe and to deter. So what are we expecting from security guards? And are there going to be armed security guards? What is it that you require to feel safe while going to work? That's going to be an interesting conversation. And while at work, are we having more active gunman drills? Are we, oh my gosh, I hate to even say this. Are we now going to plant equipment, devices, I don't know, things to protect ourselves with or to fight back with in the hospital? I hate to say that, but if you got to protect yourself, you got to protect yourself. Like, so I'm just kind of curious, what is this going to mean for the various hospitals across the nation? Will they all have similar responses? And, you know, hopefully not. Will actions like this encourage or inspire other people to do copycat crimes? I hope not. I really hope not. And I'm hopeful that we can, as healthcare professionals, come up with some type of contingency plan. I'm sure your hospital's probably already working on something. This is a multifaceted. I mean, we got to work on gun control. I, you know, hospitals are so 
non-political, they're probably going to say, you got to address that on your own. I don't think there's any hospital that's come out publicly in a unified voice to say what their stance is on gun control. I don't know that there has been. Let me know. But better gun control, better legislation to protect healthcare workers from gun violence. We need more mental health services. And we need to make sure that how we interact with our patients, that there's better communication, that we're helping them to feel heard, and that we're also using that as an opportunity to help identify people who might be having mental health crises and identifying these individuals to be high alert. And as well as, you know, securing our facilities with the security and screening that we need to make sure that guns aren't brought into our facilities. So, you know, I'd be curious to know what is your hospital doing at your facility and what do you as a nurse or as a healthcare professional want to see or require for you to go to work to feel safe so something like this doesn't happen. And you guys, I know, you know, we're healthcare professionals and I'm using this platform to talk about it. But again, I want to say that gun violence is an issue across the entire board, not just for healthcare professionals, but for our children, for our elderly, for people of faith base that are going to church and like just for our general public. This is indeed a public safety and health issues. I don't care if you're inpatient, outpatient, where you work, home health. We as health professionals have a duty to speak about this, speak up and out about the importance uh, and different interventions to help keep people safe. So let us know what you think here at nurse.org. You can email us at nursealice at nurse.org. Let us know your comments, your thoughts, your suggestions. I'd like to share those with folks. And as well, make sure that you share this podcast with your friends, your classmates, your colleagues. We got to get the conversation going. We'll let this be a starter conversation and we'll have to bring this back because unfortunately, I don't believe this is going to be the last time we hear of something like this, but let's get the conversation started. Maybe we can have some discussions on our nurse network platform to talk about different interventions or suggestions and best practices that people are doing to help keep their community safe from gun violence. So guys, I want to thank you so much for listening and tuning into this episode. I appreciate you. Nurse.org appreciates you. But you know what else I'd appreciate? I really also would appreciate you leaving a comment, rating and reviewing this podcast to let us know how we're doing. Uh, That's how I know we're on the right track and we can keep giving you the content that you want to hear. So thanks again, guys. I'm Nurse Alice. But until next time, make good choices, be kind to one another, and live well, my friends. Thanks for listening to Ask Nurse Alice. Visit nurse.org for nursing career, education, and community resources.